Hey everybody, welcome to the export. I am Raven X, and alongside me as always is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm low-key jealous of because he actually got to catch the Grizzly season opener. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm good. Um I'm not nearly as stressed as I was last night, so that's a good thing. I can only imagine because I'm not going to lie. The Grizzlies had me scared at some points. Cam Reddish was really balling in the fourth quarter. I'm happy they ended up pulling it out, but it was definitely stressful. Yeah. But we got a cool show for you guys today. Of course, we are going to discuss the drama that is going on amongst NFL owners. Will Dan Snyder be... Will Dan Snyder finally be voted out? Will, who has more power between Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones and Roger Kraft of the New England Patriots? We shall determine that later. And then we're going to play a fun game of Believable or Buffoonery Trade Rumors Edition where we list quite a few um, NFL players and discuss whether or not we think they get traded. And then we're going to close out the show with our NBA award predictions. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast are on our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So as we do every... Um, I really start off every episode during the football season. It's time for our college football player spotlight. And this week, that spotlight is going on senior Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker. After a monster 52-49 win over Alabama, Hooker was the star of the show, completing 21 of his 30 passes for 385 yards and five touchdowns, making Tennessee continue to look like one of the best teams in the nation. While he is going to be 25, I believe, by the time next season rolls around, which may cause him to slip in the draft and prevent him from being an early-round pick, I think a team's going to take a chance on him. So, Ethan, if you had to guess, what team do you think would draft him later on in this upcoming year's draft? A team that I think might draft him. Honestly, I would say... Uh, I'm honestly going to say the Houston Texans. I think... I know they've invested a lot of stock in Davis Mills, and he's shown flashes of being a potential, you know, franchise-worthy quarterback. But if you're not going to invest a high first-round pick on a quarterback and you're a team that's devoid of talent, there might be something that you can do to kind of stash him away, and maybe he can end up being the guy that you that the Texans are looking towards because we know. Um, like they have a dynamic running back in Damon Pierce. Yes, they do need some help on the outside, but I feel like when you're a team that is in the rebuilding stage, the first thing that you should focus on is finding your quarterback. In Davis Mills, he's had question marks. Like he's shown capabilities of like, okay, you have talent, but can that talent be consistent? Not for you on that. I'm going to go with the team that's kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum, and that's the Los Angeles Rams. Now, I do know that Matthew Stafford did get a big extension during the offseason, but, I mean, let's be honest. Matthew Stafford has not looked great. And even last year on the Super Bowl run, he looked pretty good for the most part, but he did lead the league in interceptions. And, honestly, he looks almost on pace to do it again this year. And he's doing so behind the worst offensive line. And so – even though, of course, I'm not saying Hooker is going to come in and take his job, but I do think that for a team that really does not prioritize those early draft picks, by getting a guy like Hooker, they can take the time to kind of develop him and kind of see what they have in him. Or if, God forbid, Matthew Stafford does get injured, or maybe they want to try things 
differently if uh, Stafford decides to prematurely retire. Either way, I think that putting him in that offense with the talent that they have on the defensive side of the ball will help them out. They can strengthen that offensive line, that run game. I think Hooker could be a nice fit in L.A. But all right, let's go ahead, look back, and recap week six. Starting off with Thursday Night Football, the Washington Commanders got their second win of the year, beating the Bears 12-7 to on Thursday Night Football. And the New York Giants just beat Baltimore 24-20, to and no, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, Seattle Seahawks, I don't even think it's an upset, but they beat the Cardinals 19-9. to Vikings beat Dolphins 24-16. Patriots run over the Browns 38-15, to but shout-out to Miles Garrett for breaking the franchise record for sacks um the Atlanta Falcons take advantage of the 49ers mistakes beating them 28 to 14 the Pittsburgh Steelers defense comes to life in their 20 to 18 victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Cincinnati Bengals win the dome coming uh 30 to 26 over the Saints Jets beat Packers 27 to 10 Colts get back on track in the AFC South defeating the Jags on a last minute drive 34 to 27 Rams beat Panthers 24-10. Buffalo Bills beat Chiefs 24-20. Eagles take clear lead of the NFC East 26-17 over the Cowboys. And then Monday Night Football, Chargers outlast the Broncos in overtime 19-16. Overall, I went 6-7 for the week. Ethan, you went 7-6. And here are some of the biggest injury news starting in Green Bay. Wide receiver Randall Cobb is going to be out for the next two to four weeks with an ankle sprain. Chargers kicker, after making, I believe, four field goals, including the game winner, is going to be out for the next two to four weeks with a strained hamstring. Marquise Hollywood-Brown is going to be out for the next four to six weeks with a foot injury. We'll get to how the Cardinals try to replace him later. And then the Rams are losing starting left tackle Joe Noteboom for the year with the torn ACL. And then probably the biggest news, Carson Wentz, quarterback for the Commanders, is out for the next four to six weeks with a fractured finger, which means it is now Taylor Heineke time in Washington. Ethan, in your opinion, do you think that the Commanders are going to play better with Heineke at the helm, or do you think they're just doomed to have a bad season regardless of who's their quarterback? I think, honestly, I think both. I think they are going to play better because if we remember correctly, the last time that Taylor Heineke had an opportunity to start for the Commanders, like the team were galvanized around them and they had some juice to them. But I just think that like, it's still not going to be enough. Like, I still think they're going to have a bad season. Um, but I do think that they might play a little bit better. But I don't see them making, like, some miraculous turnaround and being, like, a wild card level team. I still think they're going to be a bottom team in the NFC. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that – I think you really kind of put it – pretty well with regards to Taylor Heineke coming in providing some juice we know in 2020 helped to ba- help them to battle in the latter parts of the season make it to the wild card round give the Bucks a run for their money for much of the game and even look like he could have been the quarterback of the future unfortunately as we all know that didn't work out but I do think that with this opportunity he has more chemistry with the wide receivers more specifically Terry McLaurin um Oh, my gosh, their tight end, whose name I'm going to remember when I do not care. Logan Thomas. Thank you. Logan Thomas, A, Antonio Gibson, this offensive line. So I do think that that's going to help fare well in terms of producing more better numbers. But I still – I just don't love this defense. I think that they are struggling, or at least beyond the um, defensive line. 
Uh, the run game is weird. Like, I understand they want to give Brian Robinson a shot, but low-key, I think they were better off letting Antonio Gibson do his thing. But we shall see. But, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't think it's going to make a major change, but I do think Taylor Haneke is going to make them better, if not on par, to what they've been these past few weeks. But, all right, let's go ahead and kick off our top five takeaways of the week. Ethan, you can go first. Top five takeaways. Um, Number five. Given under the unfortunate circumstance of Tua Tagovailoa's injury, but him being knocked out, I think proved how valuable he was to that team. Um, I know leading up to this season, he had a lot of question marks sitting around, like is he the um, future quarterback of this franchise, and is he the guy? But the reality of it is, when he was on the field, he was winning football games, and you see. Now that he was hurt, you had Teddy Bridgewater, who, yes, he also got hurt himself, but he wasn't that much better than Tua. Um, and with Skylar Thompson as well, like, he he didn't make that big of a difference. And I think now that might, like, because of this injury, and especially if he comes back and he plays well, that might have solidified Tua's future with the Miami Dolphins. Um, number four. I know you don't want to talk about it, and I kind of don't either because my team lost to them as well. But these these New York teams, they they might have some steam. Um, they both kind of play a similar style of football, which is like, hey, we're going to play good defense, and we're going to honestly run run you out of the game. You have Saquon, who is a tremendous running back, and the Jets have Brees Hall, who's a tremendous rookie running back. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I'm starting to kind of feel some legitimacy to the New York teams. I think I'm leaning more towards the Jets than the Giants and their legitimacy, though. I agree with but that. Yeah, but I think the I think they both they both have been very surprising so far. Um, number three. Man, I hate to say it, but I think Lamar betting on himself might have shot him in the foot. Um, I know me and you have talked off air. You were like, hey, I kind of, like, I understand him wanting to, wanting to get a fully guaranteed deal, but you were on the train of, like, I don't want to give somebody that much money um, as a Ravens fan. And I think, like, Right now, you're seeing the um, the nature of the boom or bust when you have a quarterback that is like Lamar Jackson. He can beat, and when he's when he's on and he's great and he's good, he's probably the most dynamic player at the quarterback position that we have in today's game. And when he's not good, it's like he can make plays where it's like, have you ever played football before? Um, and when he's doing it in a contract season, they kind of this this kind of uh, messing them up as far as like being in the stands wanting so so much guaranteed money. Um, number two, boy, the Cardinals are bad, and I know they're about to get D Hop back. I'm thankful they're getting D Hop back because he's on my fantasy team, Word. and I. I just been sitting. I just been sitting on him, lying and wait, and I think he's going to be a big fantasy monster 
But in the context of like them being a good football team, I don't think they are. Their offensive line isn't good. They haven't had the same the same running game that they had this past season with James Conner. Um, and honestly, like Kyler Murray's looked very pedestrian as a quarterback. So I don't see like I don't. It's crazy. At one point, I was thinking like they might. They might challenge the, um, like, before the season started, I thought they might have challenged the Rams for, like, a, a spot in their division, um, winning their division. But it's looking like they might be a bottom feeder. And number one, uh, honestly, the Bills and the Chiefs game was everything that we wanted and more. Like, that, in my opinion, that probably was the best game of the weekend and probably the best game of the season. Because you saw the best out of Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, you were able. The Bills were able to showcase that improved defense that they've been assembling to honestly stop Patrick Mahomes, and it came. It came with clutch on the last drive of the game, and I do think that this is exposed a um, something for the Chiefs. Whereas I'm not going to say I think they miss. I'm not going to go around along the route of like they miss Tyreek Hill, but I definitely think that they do miss a dynamic number one S wide receiver because it's something that they don't have. Okay. I'm not going to give my response to every takeaway, but I feel you on, I'm going to get to Lamar in a second. Yeah. The Cardinals look bad. I'm yeah. Like aside from the Raiders game, uh, where Kyler Murray led that comeback, they have looked really. He has looked really pedestrian. Um. Okay. And then yeah, in terms of best game of the weekend, I'll I'll agree with that. I wouldn't say it's the best game of the season because I think that my my brain ain't letting me look at every game. But I mean, I thought the Chargers and Chiefs game was better, in my opinion. Especially with Justin Herbert coming back out despite the rib injury, still leading them downfield to score a touchdown. But Bills and Chiefs, they're going to keep putting on bangers, and I'm excited to see what they do in the playoffs. Uh, my top five, starting in the Big Easy, James Winston's time may have come to an end as a starter in New Orleans. Not saying Andy Dalton has been remarkable or anything, but he has helped to get the drive job done. I mean, he hasn't really made too many mistakes, which is something that you want in a quarterback, especially with a team that has as much talent as the New Orleans Saints. And unfortunately, in Jameis, he's already thrown several interceptions compared to Andy Dalton, who's been playing a lot cleaner, which I think is why that game between them and the uh, Bengals were so close because he kept leading them on different scoring drives. So unfortunately, barring some big change or Jameis can come back and have a monster injury, I think his time is up. Number four, Tom Brady wasn't totally wrong in spazzing on his offensive line. Like, I know we all give Tom Brady grief about what's going on with his life and his decision to come back to the NFL because I'll agree. I think it was Big Ben who was like, he doesn't look like he's having fun with it anymore. And I'd agree with that. I think that there's some sort of disconnect going on between him and the game. But, I mean, his offensive line was playing terrible. And everybody can try to harp on him about doing it and going off. But let's be honest, what great quarterback don't spaz out on their teammates at some point? Peyton Manning did it. Aaron Rodgers did it. Patrick Mahomes has gotten real close to doing it. Like, it's bound to happen, especially in times of frustration, because it was a very winnable game. 
like the especially considering the Steelers had just got their bucks kicked last week by the Bills. It could have been the same result this week, but their offensive line really wasn't giving uh, Tom Brady much time to throw, which I'll give credit to the Steelers' defense. They easily had their best game of the week, I mean, of the season. But overall, get off Tom Brady's nuts. Like, there's things to bash him for. I'm not bashing him for being getting mad at his old line. Uh, number three, talking about the Cardinals as well. I think the Cardinals made a mistake by not put, putting more emphasis on adding to their run game. They brought back James Conner, but the issue with him is he's always hurt. That was a big reason why he didn't latch on in Pittsburgh and why he initially only signed a one-year deal when he came to Arizona. I think that by kind of having Kyler Murray be the beginning and the end for their offense, it's going to be problematic. Sure, he rushed for 100 yards, but as we both just read, like he only, the team only scored nine points. By getting some more versatility on that offense, they'll do better, especially because our defense has been struggling. Number two, the Eagles are the clear-cut best team in the NFC. I mean, we all kind of figured coming into the year that like the, NF, the NFC was going to have a lot of parity, especially with so many great players heading to the AFC and complicating things there. But with regards to the Eagles, I mean, not even just looking at their record. I mean, they just look like the most complete team. In my opinion, I think they're the most complete team in the league overall, but clearly the best in the NFC. And then number one, talking about Lamar, he has not earned a fully guaranteed deal. I think you really hit it on the head with regards to him being a boomer bust guy. And coming into the year, I was already – kind of iffy on giving him a fully guaranteed deal just because, I mean, you're expecting a lot out of someone to do that. And I understand. In the same division, you see the Cleveland Browns give Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed money. He ain't played in almost two years. I understand Lamar's frustration. But like you said, betting on himself has not worked, and thus we find ourselves in a situation where really two out of our three losses I can put on Lamar. Like, I was very disappointed with him after the Bills lost because he just read the field really long. And should we have taken the field goal? Yes. But still, he had an opportunity. He had somebody open in the end zone, but he tried to do too much, held the ball too long, pick, game's over. Fast forward to this past week, which I'll get to because he was my most disappointing player. Back-to-back turnovers on two crucial drives. I mean, he hasn't shown me he deserves fully guaranteed money. If he thinks he's going to get it from Baltimore, I think he's sadly mistaken. Yeah. Anything you want to add before we move on to most impressive players? Uh, nah. I think you covered it. All right, bet. So, all right, Ethan, for you offensively, who's the most impressive player for you? For me, offensively, um, I'm going to have to go with Josh Allen. Um, in the in the duel of the week with Patrick Mahomes, the duel of arguably the two best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. He he prevailed, and he played a really clean game of football. He didn't have any turnovers, and he also came with clutch when they needed it. When he had that run late in the fourth quarter where he hurtled the Chiefs defender, and that kind of solidified the win for those guys. And he also made the big touchdown pass to Dawson Knox um, for the go-ahead score. So I got to go with Josh Allen. All right, I'm going to go with – a guy whose name we haven't said that much this season, but my main man, wide receiver Jamar Chase. 
in the dome coming not only did he attend lsu but he's from not new orleans but a town like right over had a terrific game probably his best game of the year seven catches for 132 yards two touchdowns including the 60 yarder that put the Bengals on top and kept them there i mean in big moments like this you want your best players to show up and that's precisely what he did all right defensively who you got because for me it was hard this week for me it was hard <laughs> But it was easy because I love the linemen, and I got to go with Quentin Williams. He had five total tackles, four solo, two sacks, and two tackles for loss. And, like, he dominated the Packers O-line. Yeah, we're in agreement. I had him as well. It was between him and Zadarius Smith because Zadarius Smith went crazy in Miami. But something else to kind of put on Quentin Williams, he also blocked a field goal which was a really big momentum shift because by that point, I don't think either team really was getting any scoring going. So, no, Quentin Williams is finally starting to play to the level that everybody wanted him to. Um, I already pretty much told on myself. I said my most disappointed player was Lamar Jackson. Stand on that. I mean, unremarkable game, 17-32 to 32 for 210 yards. Um, threw a touchdown, also had that really bad pick, put the uh, Giants in scaring, scoring terror. Uh, scoring territory, I'm sorry. And then very next drive, two plays later, gets strip stacked by rookie Kayvon Chase on. That's I mean not Kayvon Chase. I'm sorry, Kayvon Thibodeau, and that's the game. Just disappointed in Lamar, especially in those crucial moments. Um, for me, most disappointing. I'm gonna have to agree with you with Lamar. Uh, it's because I'm like I've stated before, I'm a big Lamar Jackson fan. And the reality is, normally in those situations, he comes up clutch. Like, this feels like an outlier, but because his play has been so um, touchy this season, it kind of is um, magnified. And this is one of those games where I feel like the, y'all, like the Ravens, needed to win this game to help solidify the um, position in the division because honestly our whole division is like I feel like the game game with each other yeah and like typically these are the type of things these are the type of games where you look up and you see the Ravens they win them and they take and then they make a run and they take a firm position in their division so I gotta go with Lamar as well All right. Let's move on to a more positive note. Rookie of the week, who you got? Rookie of the week, I got to go with Brees Hall. That's a bad man. I'm going to go with uh, Patriots quarterback Bailey Zappi. Um, the Browns' defense has looked terrible this year, but usually they look their worst when they're in run defense. But instead, Zappi was really controlling the game, threw for over 300 yards on, after completing 24 of 34 passes, had a touch, two touchdowns. I mean, he looked really good. Uh, Mac Jones supposed to be coming back for Monday Night Football. But overall, I mean, it was a pretty successful stand for Bailey Zappi, and he's, what, three games starting. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk some league news. Coming out of Tennessee, longtime Tennessee Titan former San Francisco 49 to bounce around a little bit, but Delaney Walker has officially announced his retirement from the league. One of my favorite tight ends in the league. So congratulations to him. A guy who wanted to reiterate early in the week that he was not retired. Wide receiver Deshaun Jackson has signed with the Baltimore Ravens initially to their practice squad, but the assumption is that he is going to be brought up sooner rather than later. 
And then after getting into a heated discussion with the his wide receiver coach, Robbie Anderson was traded to the Arizona Cardinals on Monday. Um, for not too much, all the Cardinals had to give up was, let me see. Oh, my gosh, I can't find it. And it was like a six-round pick. It was a really late pick. It was like a six-round pick, and I think they may have swapped. I'll find it when I do not care. But either way, he is now headed to the desert, which was an, a move in response to the injury to Hollywood Brown. So, Ethan, how do you like this move for Anderson and the Cardinals? Uh, I think this move is a wait and see. I mean, me and you talked about it off air. Robbie Anderson really hasn't been um, a super productive player for these past two seasons. And like I said, with the whole spiel about the Cardinals, like, they haven't been a good offense. They, like, you can bring in a new wide receiver, but if your old line can't protect your quarterback, that's not going to make that big of a difference. Um, I think it's it's a good placeholder because of the Hollywood Brown injury, but I don't think it's going to be like a significant um, addition to the Cardinals. Neither. I really think it's just going to be how it was last year, where it's like if D Hop is there, all the targets are going to D Hop. Like I just yep. think it's going to become like I understand Zach Ertz is there. We know he's a solid tight end. AJ uh, Green still has some juice. Same could be said for Rondell Moore, but it's just I don't really think anybody's going to see crazy targets now that DeAndre Hopkins is back in. That includes Robbie Anderson. Sure, he provides a nice speed element, but still I don't think it's going to be enough to really create a big impact. So I'm not really holding too much weight into that. But all right, we kind of talked about it at the top where we want to discuss some different uh, issues with the owners. And at a recent meeting, there seemed to be quite a few. For example, there was an altercation between Cowboys owner Jerry Jones and Patriots owner Roger Kraft over the potential of a new contract for Commissioner Roger Goodell. Um, reportedly, the exchange came amid NFL owners voting 31-1 to 1 to allow the Compensation Committee to begin no negotiations on a new deal for Goodell. Jones, who was the only owner to vote against the measure, reportedly told Kraft, don't F with me, after the latter joined the other owners in the vote. Kraft responded, excuse me, before Jones followed up with, don't mess with me. Now, of course, I doubt these two old white men are going to go to blows. But in your opinion, Ethan, which owner do you think has more power between the two, Jerry Jones or Roger Kraft? Because I think they're uh, the two hardest ones to gauge. This is a landslide, Jerry Jones. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand the Patriots. They, they've been the evil empire for years, and they've been a dynasty. But when you think about the NFL, and the Dallas Cowboys, regardless of whether you're a fan or you're not, we all know that the Cowboys, from a standpoint of like fame and everything associated with it, they're the standard bearer for teams in the NFL. They're the most famous team in the NFL. When you think about the most polarizing team, it's the Cowboys. I mean, we you can go on ESPN, like you, you go to ESPN, you watch first take every every morning. I watch first take before I leave for work, and I watch get up before I leave for work. And it's always on top about the Cowboys. Yeah. Ever since Tom Brady has left the Patriots, the Patriots have not been relevant. And I think that also plays a part in like Robert Kraft's relevance. 
Los Angeles Lakers where whether they're having a good season or a bad season, they're irrelevant because of the the, the fandom um the um esteem that the team's created over the years. And because of that, Jerry Jones has been a very vital part of that, being the owner, winning a couple Super Bowls, and honestly, from what I can understand, being one of the more vocal owners in the NFL. So I got to go with Jerry Jones. Yeah, I'm also going with Jerry Jones. I mean, I think even you kind of mentioned on the Cowboys being polarizing, but I mean, even pseudo- NFL fans, the more casual fans, they know who Jerry Jones is just because he makes his presence known. While a lot of owners are kind of in the cut, they let their GMs and their coaches kind of run things. Jerry Jones in the forefront of everything. And so, I mean, and even when the Patriots were really successful, we really hardly ever talked about Roger Kraft. It was always Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But with the Cowboys, Jerry Jones is always in every conversation. So I would say Jerry. But all right, that was another owner who has gotten a lot of attention lately, and that is Washington Commanders owner Dan Snyder, who has honestly been pretty problematic for the past several years now. Last week, it was reported that in a, as a way to keep himself from getting voted out, um, Dan Snyder reportedly believes he has enough dirt on other NFL owners and Roger Goodell to blow up the league. Snyder has allegedly told has allegedly said in private that the NFL can't F with him. However, of course, the team has denied said reports. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he does have dirt on NFL owners, but apparently it doesn't make too much of a difference. As Colts owner Jim Ursay publicly said, I believe that there is merit to remove Dan Snyder as an owner. Now, in order for this to happen, 24 out of the 32, well now 31 voters, I mean owners, would have to vote uh, Snyder out. So do you think that we are on our way to see Dan Snyder out as an NFL owner? I think so. I think um, as this story progresses and as it's furthermore development, like it's just, I think it's inevitable because we we have seen and heard the horrible things that he's done to his employees, and honestly, just the nature of um, like I think about it from this standpoint. From what I think I read an article, I heard a podcast where they referred to FedEx Field, the Commanders Stadium, was like one of the worst stadiums in the NFL. Like, I mean, even last season, they had the extension or whatever that fell on Jalen Hurts after the game. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so if you're an owner, you're not able, because of your image, um, your public image, you're not able to make the proper renovations um, to your home field. You're creating a negative image for the NFL. Like, all of those things combined, I definitely think he'll be out of the league. And if he does have dirt on people, like, you can't then you can just go with the whole merit of, like, how do we don't know if this is true or not. Like, it could just be a game of he said, she said, we're billionaires. And I think NFL owners will be willing to do that because if he's out of the league, then the NFL owners can have the NFL backing them, and they, they're going to come out on top. Yeah, I do think that if it's between Dan Schneider by himself in the league and many billionaires, I'm going with the billionaires in the league every time. All right, so one last piece before we close. Go on to our believable or buffoonery game. Um, it was announced yesterday that a Black Friday football game would be starting next season. The NFL and Amazon have announced – 
that in 2023, a Black Friday game will take place at 3 p.m. and will be streamed exclusively on Amazon Prime. So, for those of you, quick little recap. So, we get our three Thanksgiving games and then a game that Friday. It seems that the NFL lately has been kind of trying to branch out more on holidays, putting more games on Christmas and stuff like that. So, Ethan, do you like this new idea or do you think that should keep the original format? I mean, I think it's cool. I don't. I can't. I think the success of it depends on what get, what teams play. Yeah. Because the reality is, is normally like Thanksgiving Day football. It's never really like good football. Mm-hmm. You have you have you might have one good game out of the three to four games say on Thanksgiving because it's typically you know the traditional for whatever reason the traditional Cowboys versus Lions, and we all know. The Lions always end up losing that matchup, but it's never really like a good slate. So if they're able to get like a good game, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, I mean, I think they put the only successful thing that I think they did was the time slot because I I haven't been doing it in recent history, but I was a Black Friday shopper right. and. The thing is, I was one of those people that would be in stores at like 7 o'clock at night when they opened the doors. And I would essentially shop um, till like 3 in the morning. And then I'd go to sleep. So, And I wouldn't wake up till like 2 because I would sleep half the day away because I did stuff. Right. You might not get, you might get some people, you probably might get a decent marriage, but you might not get what you, I don't think it'll be a thing where it's going to be a ton of people dream because a lot of people do Black Friday shopping and they do it throughout the whole course of the weekend. I'll say it like this. I think that the people who want to watch football are going to watch that game and the people who want to shop are going to shop. So yeah. I think that's fine. And plus, this is one of the times where a streaming service is beneficial because if you are out and about and shopping, if you got Amazon Prime on your phone or whatever, you can watch the game while you're out. So I think it's a solid idea, but I agree with you. It just depends what the games are. Because, like, for example, this year's Thanksgiving slate is Detroit versus Buffalo, uh, Cowboys versus Giants, and then Patriots and Vikings. So two things are starting for Thanksgiving. You're getting a Detroit hosting a game and then Dallas hosting a game. It's just a matter of who they're going to face, and then they just have, like, a random third game. So we'll see how it all shakes out, but I don't hate it. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of Believable or Buffoonery. And we are doing a Trade Rumors edition with the NFL trade deadline taking place on November 1st. It's pretty much prime time for teams to make moves for players if they want to do so. So what we're going to do is we're going to list a few NFL players and we're going to discuss whether it's believable or buffoonery that they get traded. And we, if we think it's believable, we'll say who we think they get traded to. So let's start off on a good note, starting with defensive end for the Chicago Bears, Robert Quinn. After posting one of the best seasons of his career, he wanted a new contract. Bears didn't give it to him. There were talks of him being traded in the offseason. Still has not happened yet, but those talks are coming back alive again. So believable buffoonery, Robert Quinn gets traded. I think it's believable. Yeah, I do too. Where do you think he ends up? Pittsburgh. Ew. Um, I'm going to say the Rams. I think we all know that Aaron Donald is the king in L.A., but they just have no other pass rusher who's done them much, much good. So I think putting him on that D-line will help out a lot. All right. I'll, former fir- fourth overall pick for the former 
Oakland Raiders, now Las Vegas Raiders, defensive end Cleveland Farrell. I'm going to say buffoonery. I'm going to say buffoonery, too. I don't think he has much of a market. All right, keeping things in Vegas, safety Jonathan Abram, another first-round pick from that year. Actually, one of my favorite picks from that year. Um, I'm going to say believable. And depend, I don't know how many years he has left on his contract, but maybe throughout the remainder of his season, I'm going to say Buffalo. I think, okay, so he didn't get his uh, – fourth year fifth year option picked up so i think after next year he's done oh no he'd be a free agent this year yeah yeah he'd be free agent after this year uh yeah i'm gonna say this was tough i think i'm gonna go buffoonery but i could easily see him being traded all right moving on to the offensive side of the ball we got wide receiver for the giants Kadarius tony um this is a definite believable like, ever since Brian Dayball has been their head coach, he's been for two between the two. Honestly, basically, like, all the receivers, really. Um, I'm going to say believable, and I am going to say the Rams. I could see that. Um, I say believable as well, just because, I mean, it's one of those weird things where it's like the Giants are winning in spite of their offense. Like, take away Saquon Barkley, and nobody's really doing anything. It's just their defense has been doing well, and, I mean, they kind of step up in those bigger moments. But none of their receivers have put forth impressive numbers. Uh, so, in terms of Kadarius Tony, I'm saying believable as well, and I'm going to say the Green Bay Packers because Lord knows they need life on that offense. All right, next up, cornerback for the Washington Commanders, William Jackson the third. Uh, believable Titans. I could see that. I said believable as well, and I said the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, next up, this was an interesting one. Running back Cam Akers, after being a media darling last year, coming back quickly from an ACL tear and putting forth a really good playoff run, it seems that for a myriad of reasons, he and Sean McVay are not meshing, which has inclined a lot of people to believe that he's already played his last game as a Los Angeles Ram. So believable fooneries. Cam Akers going to be on the move. Well, I'm going to say believable, and the team is hard because they're in the same division, but I'm going to say Cardinals. They could definitely use them. I'm going to say believable as well, and I'm going to say the Denver Broncos. I'll explain more in just a second because next up is Broncos running back Melvin Gordon. Only after the first quarter, did not play again Monday Night Football. Nathaniel Hackett said there was nothing wrong with him and that he was going to get the start this week against the Jets. But I can tell there's still some friction there. So I think it's believable. And I think that they, the Broncos and the Rams, kind of do a swap where Melvin Gordon ends up in L.A. and Cam Makers ends up in uh, Denver. Mm, I can see that. Uh, I'm going to say believable team. Especially because he's a little older in the two. I'm going to say the Chargers. They can use him as a decent bag behind Austin Oh, snap. Bring him back to L.A. All right. And then last but certainly not least, one of the best running backs in the league when healthy, Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to say buffoonery simply because I think 
the Panthers are going to ask for too much, and nobody's going to be willing to pay their price tag. Yeah, you and me are in the same boat. I don't think he gets moved. But he is on an expiring deal, so if they were willing to lower their price tag probably by next offseason, I could see him being out the door. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our Week 7 game pick. Starting off with tonight's game, Thursday Night Football, the Arizona Cardinals hosting the New Orleans Saints. This was really tough, but I think I'm going to give the edge to the Cardinals because I don't think nobody's going to be able to stop D-Hop. I agree with you, but uh, the way I see it is the Saints have Cam Jordan, the Cardinals don't. True. So I'm going with Saints. I respect that. I definitely do. All right, so moving on to your Tennessee Titans coming back from a bye week, hosting the Indianapolis Colts. Titans got the last win. I think that the Colts are starting to kind of put it together on offense. I think they win it in a close one. I'm going with my Titans. Most of. All right, next up, New York Giants traveling to Jacksonville to face the Jags. I got Jaguars. Uh, who? Giants. I got Giants. I think the Jays look is run out. We'll see about that. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Carolina Panthers. I got Bucks. I got Bucks. Green Bay Packers versus the Washington's Commanders. Low key, it's kind of scary picking the Packers because I picked them the last two weeks and they've lost. But I mean, if they lose to the Commanders, then I think they just might as well just blow it all up. So I got Packers. I'm gonna be real with you. After seeing the way that the Jets D-line dominated the Packers O-line, I'm leaning towards the Commanders. Dang. I would at least, though, like, at least the Jets had offensive weapons. Like, aside from Terry McLaurin, I'd take my chances. I think the Packers can score 17 points to win this game. It could be done. But I definitely understand the apprehension because their offensive line has looked terrible. All right, Dallas Cowboys versus the Detroit Lions. As much as I want to pick Detroit, I think Cowboys win in Dak's return game. Yeah, I got Cowboys. Cincinnati Bengals versus the Atlanta Falcons. I got Bengals. Bengals. Baltimore Ravens versus the Cleveland Browns. For the love of all that is good, Baltimore, please win this game. Look, he can have a great fantasy game and lose. Yeah, I don't. I I think I've said this before. I don't want the Browns to win that game this season, so I'm going Baltimore. I don't either. All right, I know we're gonna differ on this, but New York Jets versus the Denver Broncos. We're all fingers crossed, just waiting for the Broncos to get it together. If we can get first half Russell Wilson throughout a whole game. It's going to totally change the tide of this team. Because they're still in it. Like, I was looking at stat in no game this game this season have they lost by more than single digits. I think they get it together. They end this losing streak. And this is going to be what kind of gets them back on track. So, I'm going to go with my brother-in-law. I'm going with Broncos. I think I think the Jazz defense, I think it's going to be a defensive battle. But I think the Jazz defense is going to come out on top. So That's fair. All right, Las Vegas Raiders coming off a bye, facing another team coming off the bye, the Houston Texans. I got Raiders. I got Raiders. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers hosting the Seattle Seahawks. I got Chargers. Chargers. Kansas City Chiefs traveling to San Francisco. I got Chiefs. Chiefs. 
Pittsburgh Steelers go, going to Miami for Sunday night football. I got Steelers. Is um, Tyreek Hill playing or is he still playing? I think he's playing. He played last week, so I'm assuming he's playing. I'm going to go Dolphins. That's fair. All right, last but not least, Monday Night Football, Chicago Bears versus New Orleans, I mean New England Patriots. I got Patriots. I got Pats. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookies we are watching this week. So, Ethan, you can go ahead and start us off. Offensively, there's no other person. Lamar Jackson. Um, hopefully he can rebound from a rough, a rough week last week and produce a W against a division opponent. Defensively, um, my eye is going to continue to be on Courtney Williams because he's been a terror this season. And as a defensive line um, aficionado slash lover, I always love watching a dominant D-line go to work. Rookie to watch, um, I'm going to have to say Brees Hall as well, because I also love a good running back. Brees Hall is a bad man. He was my pick for offensive rookie of the year, and so far he's been proving me right. All right, for me, offensively, I've said his name a lot already, but it's D-Hop, and I think we're going to hear his name called a lot uh, tonight when he uh, makes his season debut. Marshawn Lattimore is not going to be out there, but, I mean, even if he was, I don't think D-Hop was going to get shut down by him, so I think it's going to be a big night for him. Um, AJ Terrell, cornerback for the Falcons, is my defensive player. I talked about this like when the schedule came out about like the revenge game. I cannot wait to see him lined up against Jamar Chase because for those of you who do not remember, in our LSU's national championship game against Clemson, he was giving AJ Terrell that work all night long, and I'm very interested to see if AJ Terrell can kind of get some more street cred and stop him on the pro level. And then my rookie to watch, he's not a big known guy, but defensive tackle for the Baltimore Ravens, Travis Jones, missed the early portions of the season with, I believe it was a back injury, but now he's been back, had a sack um, in his season debut last week. I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do this time around, especially considering we are going to play a run-heavy Cleveland Browns team, and we're going to get a lot of doses of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, so I'm going to need him to ball out. All right, and the team I'm calling out is the Denver Broncos. I kind of touched on it in my prediction. They have to get something going. Like, their defense is playing amazing, much better than I thought it would, even with all the players that they have out. The offense has shown flashes but just have not been able to put forth a complete game. They need a complete game or, brother-in-law, I'm sorry, I, I can't keep defending you. Even though you are my guy and I love you, still my second favorite quarterback. But it's getting hard to – it's hard because I can't say nothing back to anybody. The criticisms are fair and warranted. So, Broncos, I need you to step up. What about you? Who are you calling out this week? Uh, I'm just going to call that my Titans simply because they, they're coming off a of bye week. Um, I just want them to stay laser focused in. I understand the coach have looked better in recent history, but I still in in it in, in the opinion of they aren't a good football team. I agree with you. Yeah. I don't I don't want us to come off about we can take a hell to a team. I think it's even though with our injuries, I think we're still a superior team overall. I feel that because I feel like we were a superior team over the Giants and we lost last week. So I mean I get it. Those losses hurt. 
Um, but all right, for the first time in months, let's recap some NBA action. The season kicked off this past Tuesday, which, by the way, have you checked out our NBA Fantasy Basketball Guide? If not, you should because it dropped on Monday. Still very early in the season, enough time to get your drafts in. So go check that out. Anyway, let's go ahead and recap the week with one of my favorite things, picking the Mambas of the week. So, Ethan, you can start us off. Who is your Eastern Mamba? of the first few games of the season? Eastern Mamba, it, it's actually a combination of teammates. I have to go with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Um, they both dropped 35 points apiece in the victory against the Philadelphia 76ers. And they did it relatively easy, honestly. Yeah, and I mean, they also did so in a comeback effort, so I get that. I'm going to go with uh, Chicago Bull, DeMar DeRozan. Kind of picked off, picked up where he left off last year, where he would just come out and have those crazy games. In the season opener against the Miami Heat, balled out, had 37 points, six boards, nine assists, two steals, a block, and did so on a night where he shot over – Third, 63% from the field, 66% from the three-point line. I mean, he came out like he had a point to prove, and I hope that he can keep it up for the rest of the year just because I am a big fan of his. All right, who's your Western Mamba of the week? I feel like we may have the same player. We might not. Okay. Because I think he, I'm not – I'm going to be honest. As great as it was to be in the changes to see job, do what he did, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go with Zion. That's right. Um, just him coming back from an injury where he basically didn't play the whole entire season last season. And he came back and he was still the same dominant player that he was the season prior. And yes, you could tell he was a little rusty. Like some of the shots, some of the um, shots that he took normally would fall. And I think that that will um, rectify itself as the season progresses. But to come back, have 20, 25, 9, 3 assists and 4 steals on 50% shooting from the field that you haven't played in the NBA game in a year. Like, that I have to go with Zion. I feel you. Well, I will go with Ja Morant. I mean, as we mentioned at the top, I mean, it was an incredibly close game between the Knicks and Grizzlies. However, the Grizzlies were able to pull it out, and in large part to what Ja Morant was able to do. Had, in my opinion, one of his better defensive games, in addition, of course, to balling out on offense. Had great hustle plays, over dropped 34 points, four boards, nine assists. Had that huge, uh, I can't even talk. Had a huge block later in the game, which I think was one of those pivotal momentum shifters for the Grizzlies, especially because by this point, the Knicks were starting to come back and also did made all what 50% from the field shot over 80% from the free throw line especially doing so in the clutchest moments I mean that's what you pay for to see John Morant ball out and that's precisely what he did now this next up rookie mamba of the week now I'm about 90% sure we got the same person yeah no I'm gonna let you go first Okay, I got Paul. I got Paolo Banchero. I mean, I believe I saw a stat where he's only the third rookie in their season debut to drop 27, 5, and 5, and he did even more than that. And the team's loss to the Pistons dropped 27 points at nine boards, five assists, and really just made it and shot 61% from the field. I mean, he really showed that the NBA 
stage was not too big for him. And I get it was just the Pistons and not like a serious contender, but still it's a great way to introduce yourself on the NBA level. Yeah, Paula did ball out, but I'm going to go with the guy that's still, in my opinion, my pick for rookie of the year. I'm going to go with a player that was on the opposing team. I'm going to go with Jaden Ivey. He did have a good he had nine, Yeah, he had 19 points, shot 8 for 15 from the field, 2 for 4 from 3, had 3 rebounds and 4 assists. And, like, I understand what Paula did was amazing. And... I think that Paulo's going to be a really has a really bright future ahead of him, but I just I got to show love to the guy that I've been rocking with for a while. I can Jay dig it. I can definitely dig it. Believe me, I got I showed you my fancy basketball teams. I got Jay Nivey on both my teams. I think he's going to have a really really big year, and he's going to be rookie Mamba in the next coming weeks. I'm sure. But all right, let's go ahead and talk some league news because. A lot of people made some money. Starting things off on the analyst front, uh, TNC, TNT has given extensions to Ernie, Shaq, Charles, and Kenny um, to k- keep them with the uh, channel for at least another 10 years. So the crew is going to stay together on uh, the NBA on TNT. So congratulations to them. And then rookie extensions were started to give out. First things first, Memphis Grizzlies took care of their forward, Brandon Clark, signed him to a four-year, $52 million deal. Um, Kevin Porter for the Rockets got paid four-year, $82.5 mil going to him, keeping him in Houston for the foreseeable future. Even Nasir Little for the Portland Trailblazers signed a four-year, $28 million deal. And at the final buzzer, the uh, Atlanta Hawks signed DeAndre Hunter to a four-year, $95 million extension, which low-key, I'm kind of shocked he got that much money. While that's all great, there are also several players who did not sign a rookie extension before the deadline. That includes Matai Thibel, um... Let's see, Matai Thibel, Phoenix's Cam Johnson, Charlotte's P.J. Washington, or in Boston's Grant Williams, who will now all be restricted free agents heading into next summer. So let's start off with the guys who did get signed and did make they, their money. Between Brandon Clark, uh, Kevin Porter, Nasir Little, and DeAndre Hunter, which deal do you like the most? Brandon Clark's. Um, because out of the guys that you name, Brandon Clark is the only player that it's a rotational player on a team that's playing significant basketball. Um, Kevin Porter Jr., he's a super talented cat, but it's been several instances where, like, because of things that he's done, coaching staff, leaving games at halftime, it's like we don't know what his future is in the NBA. Right. Like, yes, he's signed a huge deal, but we can look up in later this season. He might not even be in the NBA anymore because of something that he's done. Um, Missouri Little, that's a that's a decent signing, but he hasn't really been a difference that maker, big of a contributing factor for Portland. Um, but Brandon Clark, he's a guy that is a is in the rotation for a team that won fifty six games last season in Memphis. So, and he's getting when you think about it from the context of he's a rotational player, the cap, the um. The cap room is going to rise over the course of a couple of years. Like his deal is going to be really cheap for the level of player that he is in Memphis. 
Yeah, most definitely. Because, I mean, what, four-year 52, that averages out to less than 20 mil a season, which in comparison, like I just said, DeAndre Hunter's getting uh, got four-year 95. Porter got four-year 80. 82.5. So, I mean, Brandon Clark still definitely looks like a steal. All right, so let's talk to players who did not get signed prior to the deadline. Matai Thibel, Cam Johnson, P.J. Washington, Grant Williams. Of those four, which one do you think has the best chance to stay with their respective team? Uh, I'm going to give you two. Mm-hmm. Grant Williams and Cam Johnson. Simply because Grant Williams this past season with the Celtics, he proved to be an integral part of that team. He was the guy that when they played the books in the playoffs, he guarded Giannis, and he defended Giannis effectively. He also raised his shooting percentage from the three-point line to 40% from the three. Um, he's, in their in their estimate, he's a, a no-budget version of Draymond Green. Without the personality of Draymond, like he's a guy that he can defend multiple positions, he can shoot and he can also make plays. And I think for Cam Johnson, the reason why I say him is we all know that the Phoenix Suns have been looking at opportunities to trade Drake Crowder, and a big reason big is the emergence of Cam Johnson over the course of these handful of seasons. He's a younger guy, he's a better shooter, he also is a capable defender, and he can step into a role to play a vital part for the Suns and their playoff aspirations. Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, yeah, I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, P.J. Washington has kind of proven that he's a bit expendable. Um, he could definitely change everybody's mind by playing well to start the year, but I don't really see a Matthias Thibel. Honestly, I thought he was going to get traded last season. So I think that this year I wouldn't be shocked if he became a trade piece prior to the end of the year so that at least the 76ers would get something for him. But, yeah, I mean, I can't really add much more to what you said about Johnson and Williams. I think you pretty much hit it on the head. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to the – Golden State Warriors, who also gave two of their young guns the bag. First, giving Jordan Poole a four-year, $140 million extension, and then shortly following that up with a four-year, $109 million extension to Andrew Wiggins. Now, you and I have kind of talked about it. Andrew Wiggins definitely had a great year last year, but overall in his career, he's been a bit inconsistent. And with Jordan Poole, he's just now seeming to come into his own, but it's going to be a big question if he can stay there. So in your opinion, who do you think, which do you think is deal is going to work out better Poole or Wiggins? Cause I think I'd go Poole. Um, I think to answer that question, it depends on the context in which you're looking at. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at it on the context of all the, the Warriors winning that championship within these next two years, I'm going to say Andrew Wiggins because he he's essentially become their 3D player. And that's a big role for that type of team because you have Steph, you have Clay, and like, yes, we have Jordan Poole that comes off the bench. It can be a... Um, it can be a offensive juggernaut off the bench. But the thing that the Warriors need is when you make it to the playoffs, like this past season, what was what ascended, what was the thing that ascended Andrew Wiggins to the status in the NBA? Was that series against the Mavericks where he guarded Luka really well? And that's the thing that the, the Warriors are going to need. Like With the loss of Gary Payton, you need a wing player that can guard these 
some shooting guards that are elite players in the um, Western Conference. Like, you need a guy that can guard a John Marine. You need a guy that can guard a Luka. You need a guy that can guard a Devin Booker. You need a guy that can guard um, that can guard a Chris Paul. And that's the thing that Andrew Wiggins has done. He's re- he isn't the former number one overall pick that you're looking to score 20. You might get he might get a decent 15 out of him, but he's going to make life harder for the offensive players. And I think in the case of Jordan Poole, like, it's a great signing because he's going to be next up. He's the guy that for right now, he's fixed the six-man the six man role. But we know sooner rather than later, Steph is going to retire. And you can put the team, you can build a team around Jordan Poole. And that's kind of like a a mix of the now versus future element of Jordan Poole. But in my opinion, the Warriors could still win the championship if they didn't have Jordan Poole. I don't think they could win the championship if they don't have Andrew Williams. I agree with that sentiment. Um, So in the context of the question, it was just more so like over the life of the deal, which one do you think was better? But I do see both uh, perspectives on it. I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, we always talk about how great offensively that the Golden State Warriors are and their ability to spread the ball out, shoot from everywhere. And But defensively, like Andrew Wiggins and Draymond are those two go-to guys that you need to kind of make those plays and do the stuff that's not sexy, but to guard those the other team's best players to shut down their possessions to allow you to get big leads. Um, so, yeah, so the reason why I would go with Poole, though, is just because, like I said, over the life of the deal, like you mentioned, I mean, I think it's going to get to the point where sooner rather than later, I think Steph is going to call it quits, same as Klay Thompson, because, I mean, at, at some point, they don't have anything else to prove unless they just want to keep racking up money and, you know, yeah, and trying to fight for rings. But overall, I do think that, like you mentioned, Jordan Poole is up next. And I think that over the life of his deal, I wouldn't be surprised if we look up in a year or two from now when Steph Curry does decide to retire and then becomes uh, Jordan Poole's team. And if he's able to ball out and continue the growth that he's done over the past couple of years, then I think that it's going to look like a steal seeing what they were able to sign him to. But I think I think both were valuable and it was key for them both to be brought back into the fold just because they are so important. And I think that if they did touch free agency next year, I think they would have get snatched up like that. But all right, so let's go ahead and play another bit of a game. And this is going to be our NBA award predictions as we do every year. Um, so starting off with coach of the year. I really think that the Pistons are going to make the playoffs. And so, not saying I think they're going to be a high playoffs winning team or anything, but I think they're going to make it, and that's going to get Dwayne Casey his second Coach of the Year award in his career. Um, I'm going Taylor Jenkins. I think he was robbed last season. Rightfully so, he was robbed because Monty Williams was robbed the season before. Exactly. So, they so, had to get Monty back. Yeah. So... I think if we're going by the center of like they're trying to correct their wrongs, if the, the if everyone stays healthy, Jerry Jackson comes back and is the player that he was this past season defensively, and they're in the worst, they're in the thick of the worst conference playoffs. They have to give it to Taylor James. I think that'd be a good point. All right, most improved player, who you got? Most improved. Um, hmm. You want me to go? Actually, I'm going to go with Trey Murphy of the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm going to go with Precious Achua up in Toronto. I think he's going to see a bigger role this year. All right, uh, Rookie of the Year. You already mentioned your guy, but 
Jay Nivey is close, but I think for the past few years, rookie of the year has always been to somebody who was like reputable, but it was like, really? Because I think for much of last year, a lot of people thought that Evan Mobley was going to end up being rookie of the year. It ended up going to Scotty Barnes, who did deserve it, but it was still a little bit questionable. I don't remember who won rookie of the year before that, but I think it was another case. So I don't think Keegan Murray winning it would be a major surprise, but I think it's going to be one of those things where even though he doesn't put forth the sexy numbers of a Paolo or a Jaden Ivey, I think that he's going to play a really big role for the Kings, and I think he could end up getting it. All right, sixth man of the year, who you got? I have Malcolm Brogdon. That's a good one. I'm going to go Utah Jazz's uh, Colin Sexton. I could see him eventually starting, but as of now, the lineup is uh, Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley in the backcourt starting. And then Sexton is the sixth man. I mean, he had a really good game this past, uh, last night coming off of the bench. And I think that as long as he can continue to learn under guys like Clarkson and uh, Conley and kind of just chill out and stop trying to do any and everything for their team and kind of humble himself a bit, I think Colin Sexton can be a really, really good player. All right, defensive player of the year, who you got? I have Bam out of bio. Yeah, I got Bam out of bio. No, I'm lying. I picked DeAndre Ayton, and I'm going to stick with DeAndre Ayton. My bad, DeAndre. I forgot. All right, MVP. I have a boring pick, unfortunately, but who you got? I want to hear this boring pick. It's Luka. Like, the past two, three years, Luka's name has been in the conversation to win it, and I think that this is going to be the year that they fi- he finally pulls it off. So, before I give you my pick, I'm going to give you my counter-arguments of why I don't think it's going to be Luka. Okay. First off, I don't think the Mavericks are going to win as many games as they've had in the past because I think their their team overall has gotten worse. Really? Um, yes. Like, I understand the whole Christoph Porzingis thing. A lot of people thought it was a bust. From the if people viewed it from the offensive side of the um, of the spectrum, but the thing that Kristaps did that made the Mavericks such a dynamic team was he was a really great rim defender. He was like last season the Mavs were a team that played tremendous defense, and I don't think that they're going to be they're going to do that this year because you have Christian Wood who. Is really like a six nine center who isn't a ring protector, and like because of that, you don't have you're not going to have the defensive identity. Like I think that's going to cost them more games. I mean, you look at this past game last night against Phoenix. What I blew like, it. the fouls were up, and what cost them the game? They when it came down to the clutch, they gave up eleven points to Damian Lee in the fourth quarter, and he hit a game winner because they weren't able to get a stop. And I think that they're going to suffer more losses because their defense isn't as stingy. Like, I get it. Luka's going to probably put up a lot of points. But I think because of their overall, like, win total might be dropping down a little bit. That's why I don't think he's going to get it. That's fair. I look at it like 
even though like I've I'll be the first to say like I don't see the Mavs as like a serious title contender. I think the same argument could be made for the Nuggets and how they play. Like sure they won a solid amount of games, but it was clear that they really weren't going too too far, especially because it was the Nikola Jokic show. Everything ran through Nikola Jokic, similar to what how it's been in Dallas. Everything runs through Luka, and I think that they're still going to be a team that ends up making the playoffs, maybe fourth, fifth seed, because. For lack of a better word, I think that Luka is going to will them there. I mean, how many games have we watched where teams just cannot get it done collectively, but then they have a star who does all the work and will, wills them to games that they really shouldn't have won, and they end up pulling it out. I think that in terms of Luka, I think that because of the defensive efficiencies, it's going to cause Luka to kind of step up into a whole nother level and kind of force him to be even better than he has been. And he's already been remarkable. So I think that this is going to end up being his year. But all right, who's your MVP, though? Ja. I would love for Ja to win MVP. I, I seriously think, like, it's similar to what you just said about Luka, but I think the difference is, is, like, I think when everyone gets healthy, I think the Grizzlies are still going to be one of the better teams in the Western Conference. Like, I can see them being from the three to five range in playoff ranking because I actually think the Mavs are going to take a, a drop to where they go back to, like, five or six. I don't see them being higher than like fifth because, but I think, and then I just think too, like, Ja is the most, I think he's going to get a lot of, especially if he stays healthy throughout the whole season, he's going to get a lot of publicity because he is the most exciting player in the NBA. Yeah. And I think that's going to play a part in like, the way people view him because it's very similar to when Stephen Curry won MVP. Like, both sides. Like, yes, he, he did put up great numbers in his team, won a lot of games, but doing like Steph Curry's peak, he was the most must-see TV player in NBA in the NBA at that point. And right now, that's the job. And I think that if he stays healthy and if the Grizzlies are able to win like be somewhere in the three, four, five, three to four range um, in the West, I think they might prepare to go to MVP. I could see that. I mean, because prior to him getting hurt and he missed, what, 20 games or so, he was firmly in the MVP race. And, I mean, this is when he started doing all types of commercials. His face was starting to get out there. He really became more of a household name. Like, people in Memphis and really big football – I mean, basketball fans knew who he was, but this is now the perfect time for him to get out to a, a national audience, especially with the Grizzlies getting more primetime games. So, I hope you're right. I would love Luka – I mean, not Luka. I would love for Ja to win MVP. But, all right, so – Let's do. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. One thing on the Luca front. Also, I forgot to mention this. Being completely honest, people don't like Luca. Mm. Yeah. Like people like they look people. People view Luca kind of similar in a similar fashion as they view James Harden. Yeah. Um. So I think that might play a role too. Like I think he does have his continued um his like fan base. But, like, I think overall, people don't like Luca because when you watch Luca, like, he does whine. He whines too much. Like, he whined last night, and it's like, bro, just play. So, that's another reason why I don't think in the long run he might be Luca because it's one of those things where it's like, he's going to be great offensively, 
subpar defensively. But then it's like you might have cost your team a, a game or two because you won to the rest, the rest and you didn't get back on defense. Uh, I mean, but if we are doing the comparison to James Harden, I mean, he's in the same vein where he don't play defense that much either. And then even his MVP year, he put up terrific offensive numbers, of course, nothing defensively. And we all know how the season kind of turned out with the Rockets not really going anywhere in the playoffs. So I don't think – I'll say it like this. He may not be like a fan favorite. Players, fans or whatever may not love him. But, I mean, the numbers don't lie. And I feel like if it gets to the point where, like, he puts up too good of numbers – you can't deny him the award. So I'll say it like this. Like, in terms of all-star voting, I think that popularity and fans not really liking him would go into effect. But in terms of MVP voting and things like that, because, like, I mean, for example, Ben Simmons, when he won Rookie of the Year, I know it's not MVP, but people were pissed off because technically he wasn't even a rookie. So I, so I don't think, in terms of NBA awards, I don't think that popularity really goes into effect. I think like maybe like the ESPYS and stuff like that, but the NBA is more so cut and dry on the numbers. But all right, let's go ahead and get to the probably the best part, and that is NBA Finals picks. Let's start off who we want to see in the finals. I want Grizzlies versus the Heat. Unfortunately. I do want the Grizzlies to lose because I want Jimmy Butler to get a ring. So I want Heat in seven. In your world, what's the perfect NBA Finals? Grizzlies versus Bucks. All right, Grizzlies in how many games? Because I know you're not going to have the Grizzlies lose. Grizzlies in seven. In game seven in Memphis. That would be dope. Game winner or they win decisively? Jogging the game winner. Oh, well, then, yeah. I, I'm sure you saw – I'm sure you probably heard about the Facebook post where it was like, Johnny, stop being so good because it makes Grizzlies tickets go up. Y'all win the championship. They're not wrong. They're not, they're not wrong. Because I know – I was just talking about it with a friend of mine prior to COVID. The season I went to, like, three or four games and how cheap the tickets were. And I paid for my tickets to go to the Mavericks game in March. I paid some good money for those nosebleed seats. So, nah, I'm it's – it's great to see the Grizzlies doing well, but also, man, they take it's got expensive. All right, so now realistically, who do you think's in the finals? I think we both had Bucks and Warriors based off breaking down the Eastern or Western Conference. So between those two teams, who do you got and in how many games? Uh, I have, if it's Bucks and Warriors, I think I'm going to go with the Warriors in six. I got Bucks in seven, just because I don't have to see the Warriors win it back-to-back years. Matchup, if we're actually matching them up, then, yeah, I think the Warriors will win. But just for the sake of conversation, I got Bucks winning because I really don't think nobody will be able to stop Giannis. I think that Giannis will kind of go into overdrive, kind of similar to what he did last year. Well, last time he was in the finals. But all right, let's go ahead and play a quick game of Believable or Buffoonery before we make our nightly game predictions and get out of here. So... Before the start of the uh, Warriors season opener, Charles Barkley had an interesting comment about the Warriors' young core, in which he said, if Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman play well, the Golden State Warriors could actually win the next three to four championships. Now, I'm not going to go that far, but believable or buffoonery, if the Warriors' young core can stay together, the Golden State will still be in the title picture for the next five years. Um, I'm going to say buffoonery because I feel like in this band, Steph and or Clay 
we'll resign. Yeah, I'm saying buffoonery as well. And I know we both talked about Jordan Poole and how we like his potential. But, I mean, it's still going to be a time of transition going from those two guys who have been legends uh, for the franchise. All right, speaking of legends, let's talk about LeBron James. Recently on uh, J.J. Reddick's podcast, The Old Man and the Three, he talked to Victor Oladipo, who talked about what it was like facing the 2018 Cavaliers, more specifically, LeBron James. Victor Oladipo said, to be matched up against the best player in the world and go toe-to-toe, that was a different type of drug for sure. J.J. Reddick responded, 18 LeBron was different. We'll have to ask Bron someday what he thinks his peak is. So believable or buffoonery, 2018 LeBron was the best version of King James. Was that the one where he won with Kyrie? No, that was 17, 16-17. Yeah, because I think, yes, I know that for a fact, because that was the year Kobe Bryant retired, so that was 16-17, blew the 3-1 lead, so no. That was the year two after. So that was the year when the Lakers beat him in the final. I mean, not the Lakers, the Warriors. Yes. Okay. Because uh, that's when uh, KD, was that KD's first year or second year? I think that was KD's second year. Yeah, second year because he came after they blew the lead. So, yeah, second year. Yeah, I'm going to have to say no. Um, For me, in my personal opinion, I, I, I always thought that the best version of the Brown James was the Miami Heat version after they lost to the uh, Mavericks to the Mavericks in their first finals. Yeah, I unfortunately have to dis. I mean, I have to agree with you on that because I did hate Bron Bron at that time. But yeah, no, I I yeah, no Miami Heat Lebron was especially like you mentioned after losing in the finals, having to hear from everybody. Oh, uh, you let you went to South Beach, you ain't do nothing. He has a bone to pick. He has something to prove and. More than proved it. I think a close second probably would be his second run with the Cavs, just because I mean, did literally everything for that team and willed them to the finals repeatedly. He may not have won it, but it was insane what you were asking a thirty-three plus year old man to do. It was insane. All right, continuing on, let's talk about a team who is on the opposite of peaking, but. reportedly not tanking um in a recent interview josh hart said that well this was before the season started but he said we're zero and zero i don't think we're panicking we're not trying to get victor whatever his name is of course he's referring to uh victor wanabayama uh the french player who was probably going to be one of the first players taken if not the first overall pick a year from now so believable or buffoonery the Portland Trailblazers are not tanking this season. I don't think so. I mean, at least so from the time being. That's the thing about the NBA is teams typically don't really start to tank after the All-Star break. Um, so right now, I mean, they beat the Kings last night. So right now, I don't think they're tanking. They're going to be competitive. Now, if they see that their record isn't, excuse me, isn't up to par, um, after this all-star break, then they might start to tank. But right now, when it's week, week one of the NBA season, I don't think any NBA team is tanking. I don't think so either. Um, also, I would have to say, like, I think if Damian Lillard stays healthy, I think that'll also play a role in. Now, if he has another injury where he's out for the rest of the year, then, yeah, I'm, I mean, I think they're tanking. But so far, I don't think so either. I think they have a chance to be 
semi-competitive, possibly battle for a play-in spot. I don't think they make the playoffs, but I think that they have a chance to be in that conversation towards the end of the year. But all right, last question, just because, not going to lie, here at the Export, we like a little bit of violence. And so in the season opener between the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics, things got a little bit heated between Marcus Smart and Joel Embiid. Following the game, when asked about the altercation, Marcus Smart talked about it and said, I could have cracked his, referring to Joel Embiid, heads open, but I didn't. Marcus Smart is hood. You know, we I believe it was in when he was at Oklahoma State, he got in a fight during the game, if I'm not mistaken. And then we know how Joel Embiid is. He talks smack to everybody, kind of gets into it with a little bit of everybody. So let's say these guys did go toe-to-toe. Believable or buffoonery, Marcus Smart could hold his own in a fight against Joel Embiid. Because I'm going to say I'm gonna say believable. I know it, boy. I know it. Really? You, you have to realize... Like, yes, Marcus Smart can be tough. He can be from the hood. But you can't attribute that. And Marcus Smart is a big dude and is all right. He's like 6'4", 220, 225. But Joe Embiid is 7'2". And on a good day, shoot at least at a minimum 280. So? People, people get beaten up us, so by smaller people no, all the time. Let me, let, me put it, let me put it in context, please. Okay. All right, so we saw the video of Draymond Green and Jordan Poole, right? Right. So Jordan Poole is 6'3", 190 pounds, 95 at the most. Draymond Green is 6'7", 230. We saw how all it took, even though... It could have came on the circumstances of being at Sucker Punch or not. We saw that all it took was one punch in Jordan Poole on the ground. I don't what think those are two. I don't think those are the same thing. But it's, I'm just, no, I'm, I'm just talking about size difference. Okay, like, I, get, I get the size difference. But, okay, I get the size difference. But I think that if you can fight... You can fight. Now, I'm not saying I think Marcus Smart's gonna beat up Joel and B, but I think he can hold his own. I don't think. I think there's too many variables that lean towards Joel, where it's like he has the size. And you also have to realize when it comes down to a fight, Joel and B has a dramatic reach difference than Marcus Smart. Like Marcus Smart might not even be able to connect with Joel and B because his arms are that much longer. And I'm saying this because I watch UFC, so like I know like. The, the the differences in reach and how they can affect the fight. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying. Like I said, I'm not saying I think Marcus Smart would beat up Joel Embiid, but I do. I think he'd get a few licks in. I'm not think. I don't think he would go out like no punk. Okay, so if you had to pick between Draymond and Joel Embiid, like straight up fight, who you got? Because I got jo- I got Draymond. I'm gonna pick Draymond because I think Draymond. Is- Draymond like do whatever he needs to do to win. The only thing, the only reason why it's hard for me to pick Joel is because like I don't think Joel has the mainstream. No, I don't think so. Like I think he he's similar to like the way that Shaq used to be. Like Shaq had more of a mainstream, but Shaq was just a big lovable dude. And like I think Joel the beef is in that same thing. Except that he's just a troll. Yeah. But, like, 
Joe, like Draymond, he's saying he has that mainstream. And I do think that Marcus Smart has the mainstream, but I also think that, I mean, if you push, if you piss somebody off enough, then They'll somebody find finds, then it could be like, ah, oh, she wrote. Yeah. I, I feel you on that. I think, like you mentioned with that main streak, I think that would give Marcus Smart a look. I, I think it gives him a chance. I don't think we'll ever see it, but it'll give him a chance. All right, so let's close this out with our nightly game picks. Only two games tonight, but they're both going to be some pretty good ones. First off, Milwaukee Bucks going to Philly. Ah, uh, the Philly did look good. I mean, Tyrese Maxley had a good game. Joel Harden. But screw it. I still got Bucks. I think that Giannis is going to ball. Actually, I lied because Chris Milton is not playing. I got 76ers. Take back everything I just said. Yeah, I got Finley as well because I also think that P.J. Tucker is going to play a good role in guarding Giannis. And he's going to have to because if not, Giannis is just going to take over. All right, and then the battle for L.A., even though it's not really a battle. Clippers versus Lakers. I got Clippers. Yeah, me too. Unfortunately. But all right, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please should check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content by yours, truly and fellow export writers. Basketball fans, check out that fantasy basketball guide as we do every year. It's a short listen, so go check that out while you're drafting your fantasy basketball teams. And uh yeah, anything else you want to say before we close out this bad boy? Uh, go Grizz, go Titans, and I might be at the game against the next Monday. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I'm like a, a unofficial de facto season ticket holder. Like a friend of mine bought season tickets, and I'm like going to pay him money to like chip in on the ticket. So like I have. Oh, that's close. Like either we're going to be going together, or I'm going to be going again to by myself. I mean, either way, it sounds like a blast. I'm I'm jealous. I, I need to get back in a town that has an NBA team, even though I still don't think they – depending on where I go, it's not going to be as fun as Grizzlies games because those are 10 out of 10. Uh, yeah, so go Lakers. I mean, even though I think the Clippers are better than us, I mean, it's it's really lame when the Lakers lose to the Clippers, so let's not have that happen. Um, Baltimore, please don't let me down. I, it's been a rough season so far. Just please let, let's, let's sweep the Browns. Everybody else in the division, if we split it, it is what it is, but I just want to sweep the Browns. Uh, LSU, let's be all Miss. I understand what happened to Tennessee, but we kicked Florida's butt as we always do. Let's do it again against the Rebels. Um, Memphis, y'all stressed me out these past two weeks. I hope y'all get it together against Tulane. Um... Is that it? Last said Lakers, LSU, Baltimore, Memphis. Dodge, my Dodgers lost. So baseball, I'm just chilling. So yeah, that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>